This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 590. And the quote of the day is, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 590 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, getting closer to that 600th episode. I'm super pumped about that, and I'm glad you're here. Maybe this is the first episode you've ever listened to, so if it is, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it, and I got my buddy Blair Sinta back on the podcast. A couple weeks ago, I was reading through Bill Bruford's book, and he talks about Blair Sinta in there, and I've had Blair on the podcast before, and it had been a while since I talked to him, and I texted him. I said, "Hey, man, you know how are, how are you?" And just checking in with him, and we got to talking. And I was thinking, well, we I should just get him back on the podcast so we can have this conversation for everyone else to benefit from. So here we are. And if you're unfamiliar with Blair or his work, I mean, the guy has played with a ton of different artists. He's recorded with Atlantis Morissette, Annie Lennox, Gwen Stefani, Stevie Nicks, Adina Mazel, Chris Cornell, John Fogarty. He's worked on Grand Theft Auto, the video game. He's worked on films and commercials and all sorts of different stuff. And he is primarily, I don't want to say primarily, but he does a lot of, of studio work in his drum room and in other studios and things like that. So we talk a lot about that, about how through COVID he is working on new things and learning new things, but also for anyone who wants to set up their own drum room or wants to get into recording their own drums and things like that, we really dive deep into that stuff. And frankly, that's a world that that I don't know that much about either. I've been in the studio and recorded a lot, but I've never done it myself. And and I'm by no means an engineer. That, that world is almost foreign to me. So thank God I have Justin Thomas who works on this podcast with me. So Blair ta- talks a lot about that and and learning those things for yourself. So a really great conversation from a dude who has been there, done that, has a ton of experience. And let's get into this conversation with my man, Blair Sinta. Blair, what's happening, my man? Nick! Good to talk to you again, man. It's been a like, little while. It has been a little while, and yeah. we're uh, we're recording this on a on a pivotal day in the United States here on Election Day. <laughs> we are, we are, and uh, and this, like it goes without saying that that 2020 has been an absolutely crazy year. And but I like to, I always like to try to find silver lining. You know where where can we benefit from this? And and there's no benefiting from a global pandemic. But how can we? How can we control the things that we can control and worry about the things that we can control and not can and not worry about the things that we can't control? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were talking a little bit off air. Like it's a great time for for being creative. It's a mm-hmm. great time to maybe learn a new instrument, learn a new skill, mm-hmm. uh, reevaluate your career, reevaluate a different direction that you may want ahead. Um, how's it? How's it been for you? And what sort of I know that you have kids and, and you have to deal with the homeschooling and things like that, but mm-hmm. but from a drumming perspective or, or from a creative perspective, how's it how's it been for you uh since COVID started? Well, it's been it's been really interesting. When COVID hit, um business for me went through the roof, which was amazing. Um wow. you know, you know, musicians being stuck at home, not being able to tour, and not only was I getting calls uh, to record a lot, 
um, here at my home studio. But I was also getting calls from all kinds of drummers about, hey, man, can you give me advice on, you know, how to get started recording? Or can I take a lesson from you, you know, about sounds and things like that, which is things I've been doing already. So that was really, there were two months there that it was really kind of hectic and awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I feel like the creative frenzy from the musical community um, was was pretty great. Um, that has, I wouldn't say the creativity has subsided. Obviously, the monetary side of people wanting to spend money to to record has slowed. Right. Um, uh, but I think maybe the silver lining from that for me has been um, it's forcing me, and I'm currently in the process of this process of this of trying to become a better business person. Um, right. I've been able to sustain a career for a long time, more or less through word of mouth um, and having people come over to record or them hitting me up to record and doing some touring here and there. And right now it's forcing me to, to reevaluate kind of like you mentioned, you go like, okay, things are slower. What do I need to do to expand my my, uh, aware people being aware of what I'm able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in the process of, of that just, it's forcing my hand of something that I don't necessarily like to do, uh, right. which is self-promotion, but I'm trying to do it in a, in a, in a, uh, you know, a non self-promoting e way. Right, um, right. But also actually just become more knowledgeable about how to do this, uh, correctly. Well, you know, in a business sense, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that a lot of times we as creatives, like for me, it's a little different. I, I own a couple of businesses, but I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and like, mm. I've just, it business, it's funny. Like I thought that everyone just understood mm-hmm. business mm. and I, I would have conversations with people and they're like, how do you know this? And I'm like, how do you not know this? But I didn't realize <laughs> that I just like, I learned it through osmosis right. as a kid. You know, I right. didn't, I didn't right. know that everyone, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but why do you think that, that we as creators tend to shy away from the business side of things? Or is it because we, we don't understand it? Or is it because we feel like it sucks some of the creativity out of, out of what we're doing? Why do you think that is? Uh, well, for, for me personally, I think it's that. Um, it's spending the time doing the things I don't want to do. Like I, I'm, I'm incredibly good at like, if I'm bored, I get real creative real fast. Or if mm-hmm. I feel like, actually, if I feel like um, things are slow, I get super creative and it's easy for me to dive into a rabbit hole in my studio and just make things. I can make things all day long. It's it's the second half of it where it's awesome to make things, but if you don't share it, I don't want to say it's pointless, but there's less, um, like the whole point of creating things is to to share it. Right. Right. You know, I'm naturally Mm -hmm. a little more introverted. Uh, so I think me sharing like just as on a, on a personal level has always been more difficult, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, cause I don't want to be like, Hey, check me out. You know, I like the creative part of it. Um, and then just the, the literally the like studying of, uh, 
you know, marketing or, or, you know, you got to spend money to make money, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those, those were not inherent in my growing up. You know, I came from a musical family and the interesting part of my family was that my dad was a university teacher. So the idea of like a struggling musician was almost like a foreign concept to me because he always had regular income, Mm -hmm. you know, and my mom taught public school music. So we had music in the house, but we always had regular income, you know? Right. So the kind of hustle and selling yourself thing, even though I was in a musical family, that was not part of my household. Got it. Yeah. It it was almost like they your parents were employees versus you are your own boss and you're you're an entrepreneur and you have to go out and do this on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And got you got to like what what you what you kill you eat kind of thing. Exactly. And you know there's also another aspect of of having kids and and a mortgage and things like that where you know it's one it's one thing to you know be single and say like well I'm not making as much money this month but I'll get by. Right. As opposed to go like, whoa, I got to put food on the table. You know, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. You can't, you can't put ramen on the table. Exactly. Night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I think I answered that, so I won't ramble on anymore, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just always interesting, uh, you know, hearing, hearing the different transitions and now, especially with what's going on, I'm, I'm fearful that, a lot of musicians are one aren't going to make it through, aren't going to make it to the other side, mm-hmm. or are going to be too prideful to go get a job, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or at least openly talk about going to get going and getting a job. Mm-hmm. And I'm fearful of it, man. I really am because I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna swallow up some great musicians, and I also think that it's going to put musicians is particularly touring musicians who have just been on the road forever mm-hmm. and now they're not on the road mm-hmm. um, because people, we, we don't like to talk about jobs and part-time gigs or, or side jobs or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, not only is it depressing when you've, you've spent your life trying to be good at something, but then you're unable to make a living at it. I mean, that's depressing in the first place. Right. Right. Um, secondly, you had pride in there where, you know, you're just, you're like, Hey, I'm good at what I do. Like, you know, what, what, what's happening. Um, but the whole world is the whole touring world is turned off. It's not like you're not getting hired for the gigs. No one's getting hired for any gigs. Right. Well, and recording is not that much different. There are more sessions happening and you can do things at home, but there's the economic aspect of it too. Right. uh, Where, where, where somebody wants to part with, you know, X amount of money to get a track recorded. They're, they're, probably thinking of alternative ways to get it done themselves or just hire a homie, you know, right. who will do it right. for free. Yeah. What, what percentage would you say you were doing session work versus touring work before, before COVID? Oh, the past. Well, I mean, it's been different for me the past couple of years. It's almost uh, 70, 30 recording, maybe even 80, yeah. 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you prefer you're you're a studio guy, right? I mean, like you love you're, you're like a studio rat, right? You could be, in I love room. it. I love yeah. it. I mean, I, it's important for me to play live, though, um, yeah. for a number of reasons. One, interact with other musicians. Two, mm-hmm. um, there's this, there's a, you know, playing for four minutes at a time is cool, but it's nice to play for an hour, you know, right. and get sweaty yeah. and 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 open. It's just a very different skill set. It's a different mindset. It's a different. Uh, it's a different part of your brain that needs to be working. Yeah. And I love improvising with other people. 
Um, so I try to play around town. I do, I do want to play shows out, you know, that's just a muscle that, uh, I never want to let go, but mm-hmm. I love the creative part of being in a studio, different sounds and, and the engineering part. I love of it. I love. And yeah. Yeah. What, so playing live, you know, I always, I've always thought the, the best way you get good at playing live is playing live. And is it the same in the studio or is there particular things that you suggest that people work on to really hone that skill? Is it, is it trial and error? Is it tinkering and, and, you know, messing with different sounds and, and different mm-hmm. things like that? Um, okay. So it's, that's almost two questions, right? Because I think there's the, there's the home studio side where you're, you're doing everything as opposed to mm-hmm. going into a studio and having an engineer and things Got like it. that. Right. So yes, you gotta, you gotta be doing recording work and you have to hopefully have people in the room. Um, if you're, if you're kind of green, who will help mentor, mentor you, whether it's an engineer or other musicians who have more experience than you, um, to give you, you know, suggestions or guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the pressure of being in a studio environment with other people and trying to get things done in a timely manner is really good. Right. Um, cause I know that I can get a little lazy out here on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I often try to test myself after I make my chart and I'm going to record, like, let's say a commercial for somebody, uh, like, okay, can I, can I get this done in two takes? You know what I mean? And you know, I try to keep that pressure on myself, but it's easy to like, you know, let it go <laughs> right, <laughs> to, right. oh, shit, I screwed up. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> right. Um, but then there's the other aspect that you're mentioning of, of like, of the engineering part of it and getting sounds and knowing how to get to where you, where it needs to be for the track. The sound needs to be right. for the track. And that is completely trial and error. Yeah. Um, Cause the reason why I asked, I talked to Victor and about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, like, to me, it just, it, it seems so daunting mm-hmm. to, if you've never done this before, mm-hmm. if, you, like, if you've never done the home studio thing mm-hmm. where you're like, all right, I got to get my drums mic'd. I got to, I got to engineer this stuff. I got to get yep. everything sounding right. Then I got to edit it. Then I got to do this. Then I got to do that. It's like, where do you start? Right. You know? Well, and the odd thing, correct me if I'm wrong. And Victor's a good friend of mine, but Victor is newer to the engineering side. Did you guys talk yes. about that? Yes, yeah, yeah. Because Victor, he he's like, he'll just take pick one thing and just like go down the rabbit hole and do that. Yeah, and, and Victor's gonna get there because he's such a badass. I mean, if right. people don't know Victor, he's one of the baddest motherfuckers out there. He um, is. He is. And but I know, you know, Victor's had a, a studio with a lot of my friends in the past, you know, handful of years, and that studio finally was, you know, more or less shut down for them. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that he was. He was like, okay, I got to, I got to go to the other side. I got to get the engineering side together. Um, what was I saying here? What was my whole point B- besides talking about Victor? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about the engine, like learning not only the the sounds and things like that, but then also the engineering side of it. Yeah. As well. And that's, and like, that's where, and like, where do you start? How right. do you start trying to figure all these I things mean, out? Simple. You start simple. Um, right. So one of the things that COVID did to me, for me was I have a Patreon page that I've had for a couple of years and it's all about recording drums um, and teaching people how to record drums. And I have done things where I take one mic and I put it all around the room or in different sections of the kit and I do that. And then I do two mics and I do three mics and four mics. And what COVID 
forced me to do was actually put these together in a package to sell. So I, you know, I, I've put out a product of like, okay, here is a very introduction to recording package you can get for a hundred bucks. And it's different mic patterns. It's different placements. It's very simple recording. And the idea was to like, you know, all these phone calls I was getting was to be like, recording drums actually isn't that hard. First of all, because you can get great sounding recordings with one or two mics. Hmm. You know? I mean, when the levy breaks is two mics, right. you know, that I right. always go back to that. It's like, what else do you want a drum sound? You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? In a massive room though. In a massive, well, I, I mean, I did it in my room. I, yeah. I recreated that. It's on YouTube. And, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty good. I'll just say that, you know what I right. mean? When right. I, um, but my whole point in in starting to do this stuff, I don't remember when we talked last time, but it was probably around the time I was getting into this. But my whole point of like trying to recreate that th- that sound in my room was like, can I do this? I need to learn how to make this sound. One, because it's one of my favorite sounds I've ever heard on record. Mm-hmm. Two, I'm like, is this possible to do in my little garage? Like, is it possible right. without having a castle? Right, right, um, right. And the deeper I went down the rabbit hole of it, I was like, I was like, this shouldn't be that hard. It's two, it's two microphones, you know? So how do you get, how do you compensate for the, for the smaller room? Uh, I have a, I have a piece of gear called a transient designer, Got you. Um, which kind of acts like compression, but it's. You could have just said flux capacitor to me. It yeah, was exactly. Like, I have a like flux capacitor. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I got it. Wait, what's his name? Not uh, doctor. What's his? What's the doctor's name? <laughs> oh, um, uh, oh, why can't I think of his name? Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I want to say is, Elliot, but joke uh, is lost. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I had him come over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, that piece of gear is was a lot of it, right? You know, and then um, just really intense listening, which is which has been the thing for me that um has improved my my um my speed at tracking things for people um understanding sounds dissecting sounds it's kind of like when i started when i went to college and i was like i you know i went to north texas and i wasn't much of a jazzer i was more like of a chicoria electric band jazzer Mm -hmm. and then it was like nope if you're gonna survive at north texas you learn to swing right so it was me, you know, throwing on kind of blue with headphones, walking around campus and listening to the ride symbol. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, how do I do this? How do I groove with a hi-hat and a ride symbol? Right? That was a foreign concept. Yeah. And you listen so hard to that. You know, you listen to Art Blakey, you listen to Philly Joe, you listen to all those things, and you're just listening to drums. It's a similar process for me for recording. It's like, okay, listen to the snare drum on this recording. Okay, how is it tuned? How is the guy hitting it? What are the, is there some kind of effect on it? What could that effect be? Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, when I, when I do these kind of recreation things, that's the kind of listening I'm doing. Um, and literally going back and forth like 50 times from my drum room to my, to my uh, control room and just tweaking, you know, right. or it needs a little more high end. Oh, the pitch is not quite right. Maybe, oh, maybe this is the wrong drum. Maybe there's mm. a drum that's going to get this sound a little closer. Right. 
you know, just all that stuff. And now I'm, I'm fairly quick at being able to listen to something and have a pretty good idea of what's happening there and then tweaking it from there. You know? Right. I, and I would venture to guess that, uh, you know, as drummers, we want to be able to play what's in our head, right? And I would imagine mm-hmm. as a, a, a drummer slash engineer who's trying to record something, the goal is to be able to say, oh, you know what? I want this. I want this to have like a 70s Stevie Wonder vibe. And you're like, I know exactly what I need. I need this. I need this. I need this. Here's how I need to set up the mics. Here's the compression. Here's I need this, all this stuff. And you can, and you can replicate that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. Yeah. yeah, because especially in this day and age, um, you're, you know, or at least I'll say in my case, I'm not often getting asked, uh, hey, do whatever you want on this. That it's was like, going to be my next question. Yeah, it's like, here's one reference or two references. Can you make it sound in this ballpark? Gotcha. You know, so yeah. whatever that is. Uh, and and you know one of the one of the really fun things for me in the past couple of years is creating loops for the company called Output. Mm-hmm. Um, they have this thing called software called Arcade, and they'll hit me up and they're like, "Hey, we need 150 loops, hip hop loops, like 90s hip hop loops." And and to me, I start salivating. I'm like, "Yes!" Like, you know, I get to pull out like my favorite tribe called Quest Tunes and go like, "Okay, what's happening here? What do I need to do to?" to get into this or like a mm-hmm. roots, like a 90, mid nineties roots record. Right. Um, you know, I mean, you know, and I did an eighties pack for them and they're like, we want some like Def Leppard hysteria sounds. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, how do I do that? <laughs> and I literally like went and found like, you know, Simmons samples, but then I layered drum samples on top of it. And nice. I tried to figure out the reverbs and then I overdubbed really bright cymbals like after I had programmed groups, like shit like that to me, I love that, you know? Right, right. I sh- I'm sure that a lot of people that would drive them up the wall because they're like, I'm not, you know, playing drums. But <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's a cool, uh, I think it's a, it's a cool thing to, to be able to do that. But I'd imagine that it's, pr- especially with the hip hop stuff, it's got to be a little hard because you're listening to it and then you have to, then you're, because you're still once removed a lot of times on the hip hop oh, yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. You listen to it and then you're like, Oh, this is like this is a James Brown sample, or this is like you know a Sly and the Family Stone sample, or it's two samples combined, and mm-hmm. you got to try to like figure out how you can you know I like I spend a lot of time on who sampled. Oh like, yeah, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm on that site all I the check time. Check that out. Yep, yep. It's just it's fascinating, like how hip hop tunes are are uh, you know were created out of these old out of it, these it, old like th- and things. that's the trick especially to the early 90s stuff where it was still like a lot of those like far side and and tribe called quest and black sheep and and all those where they were they were sampling but then they were layering samples on top right. of it and it's it's like okay can i do this can i do this at all at once can i you know and in most cases it's like yes if i can get this initial kind of sampled sound then i can add another mic as like the layer you know mm-hmm. Yeah, total geekdom, but yeah, I like the. I'm a big fan of like uh, of of some sort of loop and live drums. Mm-hmm. Like I've always been a I've always been a fan. It just like to me, it just fattens everything up. Yeah. It makes everything it makes everything sound lively. But but yeah, it just uh, that's always been a, a sound that I like. I think that's why particularly I love old school hip hop because yeah. of, because of it, how they do that. And you know, one of the other things that really kind of like started to get. Uh, really dawned on me is like 
especially these days where you have um uh you know so many great drummers but they hit really hard mm -hmm. um and you go back to this stuff and you listen to it you know they're sampling from you know 60s or 70s era drummers that don't hit that hard but then you have these samples where you know it's really in your face and it's you know thumping and stuff like that but if you really listen to the part they sampled and the drummer it's not like they're playing really light right so you know it's like i mean a lot of this stuff we're talking about is like there's no rim shots mm -hmm. you know they're hitting right. the drum like in their center of the drum and it's very it's hit quite lightly you know like clyde stubblefield didn't hit the drums hard you know right right um and and then you go like, oh man, that's half of getting that sound. I got to hit the drum say, really light. Yeah, if you start, if you're cranking it, then, yeah. I mean, then your idea is like, man, I want to like lay, I want to lay into this motherfucker and like, you know, make it slam. It's like, no, you. Right. Sorry, you've you've defeated yourself already. I that was a mistake that I made early in my career, thinking when I was playing live, thinking that if I wanted to play pocket, I had to play, I had to like, I had to hit hard. Yep. to like drive the point home. Yep. And then you realize like, oh, this is really stupid. This is this is not what it's all about. And plus it like, you know, you're not getting great tones out of the drums and blah, blah. I mean, you know, I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, the, but that's that's part of it. It's like, how hard do you hit the drums and when is it appropriate and when is it right, you know? But mm -hmm. then if you go to like Phil Collins, Phil Collins hits the drums really hard. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't, mm -hmm. he doesn't look like a modern drummer playing loud. But when you dissect like how hard he hits with like, you know, his more, mainly his wrists, he, he likes, he hits hard, man. Really? You know, I yeah. guess I never, I guess I never knew that about him. I mean, listen to the attack that comes out of his drums, you know, yeah. it's like really consistent and like, I mean, he's got a snap. Like I said, it's not like Dave Grohl hitting hard. Right, right. It's different, you know, right. but right. like you know like listen to like abacab or or something like that man he like it's like his 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 drum sounds super punchy for a reason you mm -hmm. know and it's not yeah. it's not gated reverb that's not what's making it sound like that right you know? now i yeah. gotta go back and listen to some of these records and and then pay attention to how hard yeah i was listening to there's this song called women woman in chains by mm -hmm. tears for fears and i didn't even realize it was him on it until yesterday and somebody pointed it out to me and you know, he comes in like halfway through the tune, but then there's some fills at the end where you're like, oh yeah, that's him. But man, you listen to it, you're like, like, he's like, like, like the stuff is so much attack and popping, you know? What's it, what's the song called? Woman in Chains. It's in the Chains. first song on Sowing the Seeds of Love, the album Sowing the Seeds of Love. Okay. I want to check that yeah. out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, if I came to you and I said, Blair, I need, I want to start my own little drum room, my own little recording studio, where would you mm -hmm. suggest I start? I would say, don't do it. Get into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All inside right. joke. We were talking yeah. about real estate earlier because Nick does real estate. Um, well, anyone is looking to buy or sell. A <laughs> <laughs> See, I just plugged you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, where would I say start? I would say, I would say, um, get two microphones. They don't even have to be great and learn how to get the drum sound that you want while you're playing first mm -hmm. and then set up the mics. 
So if you need 70s drums, make sure the drums, while you're playing them, before any microphones are on it, they sound, you know, pretty close to what you want. Right, right. Um, what kind of microphones? I mean, I started with a 57 and a 58. You know, I mean, two, two $100 microphones. That's where I started. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, everything, everything went from there and a Digio one, like really shitty preamps, you yeah. know, or mic pre's. Um, and I, I expanded from there. So I don't think you need to have like a, you know, a thousand dollar microphone to start. It has nothing to do with it. Right. 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 Um, it has everything to do with is your, I, this is what, this is what I preach. Your source sound, your drums have to sound like you want them to sound. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a metal drummer, a hip hop drummer, you know, you play for like a seventies cover band, whatever. If your drums don't, if you're, if you're playing, you know, like a Pearl export kit with two heads and they're wide open and you go to a seventies cover gig, it ain't going right. to sound right, right. You know? Yeah. I agree. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch. And the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range. So they sound great in the studio and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware and it's rubber on metal. And what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell. So you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ-1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. Hey, are you tired of coated drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coated drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV-like curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evan's proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. It's interesting you brought up Digio One. I mean, you can buy that for like 40 bucks now. Yeah. Can you even get them? Yeah. Why would you? I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. Why would you? But like, it's so amazing that right. how I remember we recorded our first record and we had to go buy an external hard drive mm -hmm. and it was, it was 2,500 bucks. Yeah. For an external hard drive for yeah. like, you know, a 50 gig hard drive or something crazy. And it was uh scuzzy. Remember plugging SCSI. in a scuzzy cable? Yeah. Yeah. SCSI. And you had to shut the computer off to take the drive out. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then the, after that you needed, uh, it had, it had to have the Oxford 911 chipset in it. Oh, wow. Wow. Nice. What nice, dude. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I don't even know what that means. I just a remember. couple of my friends had the, the hot swappable drive where you could yeah. actually, you didn't have to shut the computer off and you could change the disc. I was yeah. like, oh man, if I can get that someday. <laughs> that was the real deal. That yeah. was the real deal. Yeah. Um, how do you think, we're speaking of technology, how do you think technology has changed? Obviously, it's made it 
more inexpensive and it's made it easier for people to record at home and, and to set up their own, their own thing. And I love the democratization of, of music and, and production and things like that. But mm-hmm. where do you think it's done to the output of music? Do you think that the bar is still high? Do you think it's lowered the bar a little bit? What's your take on that? It's always, that's always a tricky question. Um, I always think that there are amazing artists doing things, um, you know, in their bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, like minimally, you know, um, didn't they record that whole Billie Eilish record in her yeah, bedroom? Like right near here in Atwater. I'm like, I'm in Glendale. I mean, they're like, yeah, exactly. So like legitimately in, in Phineas's bedroom. Exactly. Exactly. So to, to make a blanket statement of like, you know, shit's not as good these days is really dumb. <laughs> um, I think, right. or ignorant, I should say. Um, I miss what I miss from most contemporary music is the songwriting aspect of an, and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are artists out there doing it, but I just don't feel like that is emphasized in pop culture right now. Right. Um, I recently recorded or sometime it might've been earlier this year or late last year. I recorded for a young artist. Her name is Lizzie McAlpine Mm -hmm. and man, that record, when I put it on, it almost brings me to tears. Like it's really good. And it's not because I played on it. It's because like, wow, I really like this record. Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of great artists that are telling stories and developing songs the way I like it. but when I put on pop radio that, you know, most of that stuff leaves me pretty cold as far as, you know, lyrical content, story development, um, dynamics, right. Um, tension, you know, like I Mm -hmm. feel like there's not much tension in music, um, uh, which bums me out. And I think some of that comes from dynamics. I think some of that comes from harmony. You know, Mm -hmm. we're just, things are so, you know, chord changes, like that's just, it's just not a part of popular writing at the moment, you know? Right. Um, right. And that, that, those are the things that I love about music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I agree with you. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, for sure. You know, but I was just, I mean, I've never been a huge Kendrick Lamar fan, but I was literally just listening to Kendrick Lamar. Like, I don't know what I was listening to a far side thing and I was warming up my hands. And for some reason I was like, I was like, listen to something newish dude. Like, like, so I just went into Apple music and I like put in Kendrick Lamar and I was like, I need to revisit Kendrick Lamar. Cause people, you know, he was so huge a couple of years ago. I, you know, he still is, but like yeah. people are like, this guy's a genius. And, and it never really hit me. And I was just like listening. I literally just listened to two tunes, but I was like, I was like, okay, go revisit. You know, what are you missing? Right. Um, I'm not sure I've found it yet, but like, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to be open to it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 I think that I went through a little bit of a phase where I was sort of, and this is stupid on my part, but I was sort of like, if it's new, I'm not interested in it, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and then found some artists that I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is. But like, I feel the same way about about anything. I don't listen to the radio, but anything that's on the radio, uh, it just doesn't. It to me, it just it just doesn't have a lot of substance 
to mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. all the things like you said that I love about music are missing, like the tension and release, the, the songwriting, mm-hmm. you know, the storytelling, the mm-hmm. harmonies, all that sort of stuff to me mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. you know, the melodic structure of the tune. Yeah. It, and, and, you know, to contradict myself more, I will say that it is extremely difficult to write a very simple pop song like a Taylor Swift or, or, right. or, a, or a Katy Perry song. That is definitely a crafted art. And it sound it may sound easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So those so things they say that's the genius of of an amazing of a great song is that it sounds like anyone could have written it and anyone can play it. Exactly, it connects through simplicity. It's like yeah. playing a very simple beat where you just bob your head, right? Like yeah. you know, I always go back to Steve Jordan. Like, what is it that Steve Jordan could just go poof, ka, poof, ka, poof, and people are like that's the shit? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like. That's that's the idea, right? So, yeah. is it a dumb beat? No, it's not dumb. It connects, right? I always talk. Why do we? Why we all do this? Or I see it all the time. I don't want to. I don't want to point paint you with this brush. But we all say, "Oh, we listen to a Steve Jordan groove," and we're like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! That's how everyone should be playing drums." And then we mm-hmm. sit in the drums and we don't play like that. We like play for our ego, and we want to mm-hmm. play all our choppy shit around the kid or or whatever mm-hmm. else. Why do you think? Do you think it's ego? Like we all know what the cool shit. I'm not the right person for that question because I do do that. <laughs> I do sit down with the Steve Jordan record and go, "Can I do this?" All you right. know. All right. Um, so then I spent many years doing that. But you know, I mean, this. You know, it was. It's funny for me, especially in like some formative college years. I would spend time, and I was, you know. Still am a massive Vinny fan, Vinny Caliuta fan. And I would find myself, you know, trying to figure this stuff out and just like chopping out and bullshitting in my room. And then it would just, I would just go like, well, dude, what are you doing? Like, learn how to play a great pocket, like Picaro, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So there was always this thing pulling me back to playing more simply, um, even though I love chops as much as anybody else. But uh, that, that has always been a stronger pull to me right? Um, than anything else. And when I discovered, you know, like Buddy Miles, I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be able to sound like that dude. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, is it ego? I don't really know. It's fun. It's yeah. fun to, you know, blow chops. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but to me, it's just as fun to be able to, like, sit down and try to play, you know, four on the floor or whatever and just have it be incredibly consistent and badass mm-hmm. you know yep yeah you just can't put it on instagram because then no one will like it i mean <laughs> it there is definitely yeah there's definitely part of that um but then again i think you could there are people that you end up connecting with oh i you know, i was being sarcastic i think it's like no, I know, I know, but you know, it is finding that thing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't mean to be so literal, dude. I know, man. Fuck Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, if there was, if there was more pages of just people playing groove and pocket, then that would be that would be amazing. And I always say, like, hey, what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what gets you into playing. You know, like if if watching a video of somebody blowing chops gets you into playing drums, cool. Like. If that keeps you into playing, yeah. that's that's awesome. 
Um, yeah, but yeah, you got to think, yeah. think about the other stuff too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, you know, to find, I think to find personality, your own personality in a simple groove is probably takes more time and maturity and years than it does to learn a bunch of licks and, or just be able to play fast or whatever right. and, and leave an impression. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit about, about finding, finding your own personality or finding your own voice inside of your playing. Mm-hmm. I always think mm-hmm. that that's the, the holy grail of, of any musician. Um, yeah. What, what steps have you taken to, to get there and what advice do you have for other people who are trying to do the same? Um, this is a good question. This is always a, probably a long way answer. I think there are some people, and I always point to Bill Stewart. If anybody doesn't know Bill Stewart, he's one of the great jazz drummers of, of like our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bill Stewart came out of the womb sounding like Bill Stewart. You know, from whenever I heard the first record that I knew of him on, which is that John Schofield record, mm-hmm. he always sounded like him. Right. Um, and then I would point to myself where I felt like it took me into my 30s to really feel like I, I had a voice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm mm-hmm. not saying it actually took me that long, but it took me that long to feel like, okay, no, dude, this is what you do and you're good at this thing and you sound like you when you do this. Um, I think some of it's just personality inherently. Um, you know, how how much time you spend, you know, hearing what, you know, trying to, trying to let come out what you hear mm-hmm. as opposed to emulating. Right. You know, for a long time. Yep. Um, I think it takes some, for some people, you know, again, me, it took me a long time. Like, I like so much music. I like to listen to so many different things that I think it took me a long time to get through this cycle of learning so much different music and styles and things like that for that to, for me to um, soak all that up and then have it come back out as me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that took a very long time. Um, but I really think that's probably the essence of it, yeah. you know, absorbing your influences and then having them come back out, not as mimicked, but as actually how right. you would do it. Interpret your interpretation of what you're hearing or, or what you're hearing. Your interpretation of, 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 yeah, of your mm-hmm. influences and your yeah. heroes, you know, and, um, you know, I'm actually working on like a, like a course to sell. Uh, you know, hopefully in the next few months where, you know, I'm dissecting like, like groove drummers and, and trying to talk about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, What's, what are the things that I absorbed and then put back out and then sound like me? And like, you know, I know just from like recording myself and listening back, it's like, oh, here's me, you know, doing Clyde (laughs) Stubblefield. And I was like, well, it ain't Clyde, but it is, you know, it is good. And it Mm -hmm. is me, you know? But in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to do that, but, but that's just it. It doesn't sound like Clyde. Never right. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It's always interesting to me hearing, I, hear, hearing a drummer and then finding out who they listen to and who they grew up on. And 
I never knew this about Steve Jordan, but he was like, yeah, listen to the, the, that, that famous Isley brother record. He's like, that's, mm-hmm. he's like, that's me. Like, that's all I listen to every day for, he's like, I can, mm. he's like that, that record. If you listen to me play and then listen to that record, you'll know where I got my style from. And then you listen right. back and you're like, holy shit. Like he yeah. just took all that stuff and like made it his own. And now he's Steve Jordan. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Exactly. And like once you get that context, exactly. it's really amazing to to go back and like and do the research to see what they were listening to. Yeah, you know, and and like for me, it was like I would listen to Weather Report with Erskine and be like, man, I want to know how to, I want to be able to do that. And then I would listen to Nirvana and go, I want to be able to right. do that too. How do those things combine? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then listen to Bill Stewart and go like, okay, well, I want to do a super, super, super half-assed version of that, but like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or Tony Williams, you know what I mean? Like, how do I put all these things together and how do they Mm -hmm. come out? Um, And I, and again, I think that's why, like for someone like me, it, it took me a long time to feel like I found my voice where, again, I'll reference Bill Stewart. Well, Bill you know, Bill kind of does what Bill does. And I'm that, that sounds bad, but like, it's actually a compliment, right? It's like, he's so incredible at doing what he does and it's so unique and it's so his voice, but he was also in my, I'll just, I mean, it's uh, hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble, but I'm, I'm guessing that Bill Stewart wasn't worrying about like what Dave Grohl was doing ever in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, I I could be wrong, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, yeah, I think that's an okay I, assumption. I think so. I think so. I I love the fact that yeah. all everyone's sound that they came up with is a bastardized version of all of the people that they loved, and they just mm-hmm. sort of cobble it together. And like you know, I always try to play like Steve Jordan, and I obviously don't sound like Steve Jordan, but like I want to, so I try to. But then there's all these other people mm-hmm. that I listen to, and like. But then when I listen to myself play, I'm like, oh yeah, I do sound like, you know, the dollar store version of like Steve Jordan and Carter Beaufort and all these other people, you know, because that's what I listen to. And but but then it turns right. into your own thing and you're like, ah, I guess it's not that bad, you know. Yeah. I also think that like um I think this is an important thing. I think finding your own voice also takes playing original I music. Agree. Um I think if you only play cover music, you're being given a template. Um, that is impossible to not have in mm-hmm. your head of how someone else did it. So I think you need to play original music and or improvise. And that's the that's when you go like, well, how would I do this? No one else mm-hmm. has done this. How am I going to make this sound? What what is okay? Where is my voice to make this thing sound like yeah. me or this band sound unique or this artist or yep. whatever? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. and that's an that's that's no doubt. I mean, that has mm-hmm. to happen. You know, um, part of you know, I really miss playing in bands. I don't really do it anymore because it's hard for me to you know time wise with a family and just making a living. But I really miss playing in bands and just doing developing parts and and being the gatekeeper of you know my own yeah. creativity. I. I'm yeah. with you. I, I think that I think that playing original music 
for numerous reasons. One, I think it stretches you creatively. Two, I think it gives you a newfound respect for all these people who are writing amazing songs and and putting ama- amazing music out there. Um, and and the camaraderie of like, there's. I always said like I didn't. I never wanted to join a band that was already really successful. Like I'd rather go through the process with them and like grow the band and get bigger together and go on that journey mm-hmm. with them because of mm-hmm. just the, of the camaraderie and, and getting better together and writing together and all that. There's, there's definitely something to be said about that versus like learning a songbook and just showing up at the gig and playing the tunes. I mean, it's interesting because that to me also ties into, I agree with you hundred percent, but that also ties into like modern music. You know what I mean? And the lack of, of having bands, be popular right now is the evolution of listening, you know, to my favorite bands of like where they started and then where they ended up 15 years Mm -hmm. later and the development of their, their sound and their style and their, you know, writing style, playing style, you know, like from like rush to the police, to U2 to like all these things. It's like those early records were so different from where they ended up. Yep. And that was like a group development. Um, that man, I, I, you know, if there's, I guess if there's one thing I wish I could go back in my career, it would be actually to be a part of a band when I'm 18 and still be doing it when I was 35. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, one line in the dream symbol family that I think is really cool is the dark matter family. They have the flat earth, the moon ride, and the dark matter energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the dark matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. Do you think that the band the sort of the the band model will come back i would hope so i mean i mean there's still bands out there i know people are gonna email and be like there's still bands out there i'm not saying that but i mean like 95 percent of the people who are popular right now are individual artists right it's not a thing right now and a lot of that is monetary right uh because record labels would say okay here's your record go tour on this for two years and then we'll make another record and then we'll try to make some money back um, that doesn't exist. Can that ever exist again? I don't know. Um, but can people, can bands do it on their own? Yes. Um, I would like to think that that comes back somehow. Yeah, me too. I mean, it definitely exists, whether it becomes popular. Mm -hmm. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think one of the, I mean, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, I know a lot of people feel the same way. The the attachment you have to bands growing up never goes away. Yep. Yeah. You know, like I, I you know, I have a little like uh, in Six and Wires, I have a little mailer that I put out like once every two weeks. And I just wrote a blurb on Alex Van Halen. 
you know, Eddie, Eddie died a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I was thinking like, man, Alex Van Halen was like my earliest influence. And at this point, he's a bit of a, he's not known like he was, right? Like at one point, he was one of the most popular drummers yeah. in the world. But right now, no. But man, the influence that guy had on me is incredible. And I thought, man, I want to like write a little tribute to this guy before right, he's dead. Right. Um, because he was so important mm-hmm. to me. Um, and his, his development of his playing and like his uniqueness just because he was give he he had the opportunity to be in that band and just you know not only play great but like have crazy ass drum kits <laughs> and shit like that you know you know and experiment yeah. you know he had electron he had Simmons pads at one point he had concert toms he had octobons he had four bass drums he had blah right. blah, blah you know? and you I mean talk about like larger than life figures you know all of those guys just like yeah. I just you know you look at like posters on your wall and you're like these guys are like they're god they're not human. You know, right. And I still right. feel that way. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I was able to meet Alex Van Halen one day, I'd be like, dude, <laughs> yeah. thank you. I mean, like, you know, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, I, I also think it's interesting how many bands that are out there. We were talking about the band model. Uh, how many bands that are out there that one have been doing it for 25 or 35 years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like OAR or Big Head Todd and the Monsters and all these guys that are like, they're, they, you know, they're playing major venues, play Red Rocks every year and all that kind of stuff and tour with a full mm-hmm. crew and bus and the whole thing. And it's like, they're mm-hmm. the successful band that have been doing it for a long time. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I don't want to call them lower tier bands, but there's a lot of bands who aren't selling out stadiums across the country, but are doing mm-hmm. it and doing it well. And I think that that, that circuit is still, is still alive and well. Um, it is for it now. It is for now. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. And I hope, you know, but I hope that, I hope that there are more bigger bands that are coming out that are uh, going back to selling out stadiums and, and, uh, you know, like hitting the airwaves again, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, part of me thinks there's a business model that either is developing or maybe is not, hasn't been developed yet that hopefully that avenue is a little more it's a little more right. open. I mean, you look at, you look at a um, band like fish. I mean, they've been around since 87 or, you know, 88, something like mm-hmm. that. And never had a, never had a commercial hit, you know, no radio right. play, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. two years ago, they played 13 nights in a row at Madison square garden. You know? Right. Right. I think there's a few examples like that. Right. Wolfpack. Yeah, Wolfpack. Yep. is a thing um you know i think lewis cole could end up being that yeah you know i mean i mean who know who, maybe in 20 years lewis cole only plays slow ballads <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> um you know what i mean but like uh, you know phil collins was a fusion drummer and like what did he turn into he turned into like one of the hugest balladeer dudes of yeah. all time but i mean so yeah i think those things are probably happening more organically mm-hmm. now and and they will last. It's just different. It's just a different way of going yeah. about it. I mean, you had mentioned the, the yeah. business side of things, and I think that if you're a band and you can, uh, the gatekeepers are gone because you have access to everyone around the world through the internet for free. Yeah. And if you get someone yeah. on your team who's business savvy and understands marketing and understands promotion, 
like if you got good if you got good songs it's possible and you can do it all on your own you can keep a majority of the money and i think that you can really build uh, like if i was 25 right now i would be pumped because i feel like i would just start a band and then i'd run it like a business and get some marketing people and get some mm-hmm. promotional people write some write some killer songs and blow mm-hmm. that shit up <laughs> you know seems it seems it seems in pers- in in it seems easy right, right? I, don't, I wouldn't say it's easy but it's possible it's possible uh, yeah i think i think the hindsight of uh of me looking back also i think it seems like you have a similar perspective is that it's like oh man okay you know part of my goal was was to play sessions and was to play with a lot of artists and you know be a guy that does what i do but the other part of me was like oh it was so like in my mind it was so daunting to stay in one band and put all my eggs in Mm -hmm. one basket and i was like i don't know like i don't know about that but when i being able to look back now and go like, oh, I could have done that mm-hmm. with the right yeah. situation. I definitely could have yeah. done that. Uh, I don't think it, it was in my cards personally because I wasn't in the right situation. Right. But I, to be able to look back and go like, oh, that's how these guys do it. That did it. That's the model. Just do that. Just yeah. stay the course. I mean, I was in a band for 12 and, years. You know, and, you? Uh, and looking back now, I'm like, I, I know the mistakes that we made. You know, like, it, oh, yeah. It's like I could I could write them all down and and give them to someone and be mm-hmm. like here's oh same you know? same with me with bands I was in too I can I can see it and and part of the problem was me yeah you know not not being business savvy and not trying in those other avenues right. you know what I mean it was for me it was all about the creativity right. part right you know yeah well you live and you learn right <laughs> it is it is what it is we are you know it's all good I'm I'm not unhappy about you know no me neither i do miss playing in a band yeah i do miss playing in a band so yeah i think i'm gonna have to post covid i'm gonna start start another one start writing some tunes uh so what do you what do you what projects are you working on now what are some things that you're excited about that you got going on now good question um well you know like like we talked about the beginning the the business part of it for me is important (laughs) right now so really just trying to grow my home studio business right. more, um, which I, I really feel like is possible if I if I start to make the you know I shouldn't say start to make the right moves if I continue down the path mm-hmm. that I am, but like you know get deeper into it. Um, that's kind of what I'm excited about. I'm also you know I'm straddling the line between that and the educational part. So you know it took me a long time to. Um, like, you know, I come from a family of music educators and I think I'm finally at a point where I feel like I have things mm-hmm. to offer as an mm-hmm. educator and I'm not, I used to run from it, you know, I think cause I grew up in it so hard. Um, but now I'm like, okay, I have something to offer. So I'm just straddling the line between continuing to do what I'm doing, you know, as a studio musician and then try to give back and educate in a, in a way that I think is important for in this day and age, you know, and what's relevant right. um, to, for people to have careers. Yeah. So let yeah. me ask you a question about the business side of things. I think it's, inter- or I think it's important to talk about. Are there, are there particular things that you're learning or particular books that you're reading or particular sites that you're checking out that maybe we can, that we can direct some of the listeners to? 
Sure. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, podcast called The Six Figure Home mm-hmm. Studio that uh, it's been going for a while, but I'm, it's kind of recent okay. to me. Um, and, f- you know, to be really frank, I'm just trying to study Facebook and Google advertising. I mean, that's stuff that like has made me cringe in the past, but it's at the point where I'm like, uh, dude, <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. Get that's with a world it. that I'm really familiar with. And it's hard. Like I hire yeah. someone to do it because I'm like, I, it's, it's so it's, it's, a, it's difficult for sure. Figure out yeah. And, and I don't know if I'm going to become an expert in it, but I need to understand. You it. should understand it for sure. Yeah. 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 Cause it's still, I mean, especially, um, especially Instagram, uh, Instagram link. I mean, there's not, there's probably LinkedIn is not good for you, but, uh, but Instagram ads are still, you know, highly undervalued for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's, you know, I think it's smart to do that. And I, I, I'm a business guy. Like I just happen to play drums and, uh, mm-hmm. and I always encourage people to like learn the business side at least like you don't have to have a you don't have to get your master's degree in business just like have some have you know cursory level understanding of what's going on or hire someone that does hire someone you trust or hire someone you know that can help you with it because it's i think it's super important man so i think it's i think it's smart that you do that and you're like you're a tinkerer so you'll like you'll figure it i feel like you'll figure it out on your own yeah um yeah but these are survival skills at this day and age as for a yeah. musician, it's like a basic survival skill, you know, uh, in college 25 years ago, obviously social media didn't exist, but even like business, the idea of taking business classes, I was, that it didn't cross right. my mind right. ever, yep. you know, um, now it's mm-hmm. essential. You know, if I actually were to go back to school now, I would play as much music as I can and practice as much as I can, but I, half of my time would be spent trying to understand economy and uh entrepreneurship and all those things yeah i think it's i think it's smart it'll never hurt you either um so so yeah and if you know you're like hey i might want to get in while i'm playing i might want to get into other businesses or something like that yeah yeah Yeah. because why not you know yeah um so i know you have a patreon page and is that can they go to blairsense.com and find the patreon page through that they can, you know, uh, there's a few things on my page, but sticks and wires is, is the Patreon. So if you were to Google sticks and wires, you can find that, or you can go to blairsinta.com. Um, and it's, it's all there. Yeah. You can find it all there. I have a course for sale, the, the introduction to uh, drum recording course, the Patreon has that stuff and a whole lot more in it. Um, there's also like a little mailing list that's not annoying. It's just, you know, once every couple of weeks, I have a little story or something. And, um, you know, giving lessons and recording nice. for people. Yeah. Well, I will link. Yep. And not all through, all through my website. It's all on your website. Cause I'll, I'll link up to that in the yep. show notes that people can find, uh, so they can, so they can get in touch with you. And, Great. and I, I encourage anyone to reach out to Blair about, I mean, he has a wealth of knowledge about recording about touring about you know setting up setting up a studio about microphones and engineering and all these other things i mean the dude is a wealth of knowledge so if you need help with any of that stuff i encourage you to go talk to blair and he'll uh he'll put you on the right path for sure thanks man appreciate that 
course. And I appreciate you taking the time again to be part of the podcast, man. It was great to catch up with you. Glad to hear that uh, all is well in your world. And again, thank you. Stay safe. And uh, hopefully this election will uh, will be a peaceful, a peaceful. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> let's, let's hope let's hope this next week is uh, yeah, positive. I agree. Yeah. There you have it, the one, the only, Mr. Blair Sinta. If you want to follow along with what he's got going on, you can obviously follow him on social media, but also head over to his website, BlairSinta.com, and there's a ton of information that he has on there through his sticks and wires mailing list and, and all of that, and you can join his Patreon page, all that stuff. Also, the show notes for this episode you can find at DrummersResource.com forward slash session 590. And other than that, that's all I got. So thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't already, leave a rating, leave a review for the podcast. That's good for us. Let's people know that this is a great podcast to listen to as well. And other than that, thanks again for listening. Keep drumming. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini. That's me. Edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.